The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on a special guest. This is Leah Lamar. She is a comedian and an actress. She, right now, as we record this, she's actually in the UK and I'm in the USA. So we've swapped countries. Leah, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Wow. Thank you so much. I'm doing fabulous. I'm in Edinburgh in Scotland. I'm doing the Fringe Festival. Scotland is treating me well. And I love it here. Awesome. I love the way you Period. said it. Say, <laughs> the, say, the, say the city name again. Edinburgh. I know it's like Edinburgh, but you know, <laughs> I, I can't bring myself to say it that way. I did look up, apparently Reuters came out with an article just a couple weeks ago that listed the top 20 best cities in the world. And this is number one. Yeah, I never believe those lists, <laughs> but um, cool. So, so when they do the 10 happiest places to live and they, they always pick like Denmark, Not my childhood Sweden, home. <laughs> Norway, Switzerland, it's just like, yeah, I don't think these, I think there's a little bit of a bias there, but you know what? Edinburgh is one of the only cities in the UK I haven't been to. Oh. I've been to Glasgow tons of times. Point. Yeah. I've t performed in Glasgow tons of times, been all over England, Wales, Scotland, um, but I have not been to, haven't been to Edinburgh, so I'll have to check it out sometime. But um, Leah, yes. yeah, I'll, I'll definitely go up. For people who are not so familiar with who you are and what you do, tell them a little bit about yourself. I am a stand-up comedian, and I'm an actress, I'm a writer, I'm a Web3 advisor, and I'm a podcast host. I have a podcast called Real Time Crime on iHeart. And I also have another podcast coming out with non-fungible films called Web Threesome that is all about Web3 and everything having to do with NFTs, crypto, 
And it's really, I would say, a good way to bridge Web 2 to Web 3. So if you are very curious about what Web 3 is, this is also a good podcast for you. And even if you're a pro in Web 3, we'll be bringing on guests that everyone knows in the space. So it'll be interesting to hear them being interviewed. That's awesome. And how did you how did you get started? In what? <laughs> in what was well, <laughs> com- comedy was comedy was comedy the first or were you acting before? that? No. So I was a dramatic actor for a really long time. I, I wanted to do musical theater and it turns out I cannot dance. So <laughs> we yeah, we left that dream to die and it was reborn as just a theater dream. And I was doing lots of off-Broadway shows in New York. And there's nothing I love more than Broadway. I mean, Mm. I will not go to Broadway shows with people specifically because when I watch a show, I will sob the whole time. I don't know. I can't explain it. There's just some sort of magic that comes over me that I'm just so enthralled with. And I think it's the level of talent and creativity and... I think it just opens up this world of possibility in my brain that it just makes me sob. And it is Mm. so awkward. You know, people are like, why is that single woman sobbing during Wicked? And (laughs) I I don't know how to explain it. It happens to me in movies as well. I just can't stop. Anyway, so I moved from theater and I suddenly started making a switch into film and TV when a friend of mine was like, hey, I saw you in that play. I think you'd be really good in my movie. And then, you know, I tried that and I was like, ah, this is cool this is an interesting art form and Mm -hmm. you know, you reach more people this way. And I think art is to move people. So the more people you reach, the better hypothetically depends on what your definition of art is, but, (laughs) (laughs) and you know, I'm not going to get into TikTok um, and what some art forms are, but so then I moved into film TV and I moved out to Los Angeles to be a young ingenue. And I met with this casting director And after the end of an hour-long conversation, she just said to me, I want to let you know you're more funny, less pretty. Oh. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God. I don't don't know. You think you're funny? Yeah. I was was like, how do you take that? I was like, that's that's like simultaneously. I I don't know. Was that? How how did you take that? I knew what she meant in hindsight. (laughs) It really hurt in the moment. And, you know, I thought New Yorkers were honest. Turns out it's really the people in L.A. (laughs) What she meant was I wasn't a 19-year-old model starting from scratch, coming Mm. to Los Angeles to be a dramatic actress in a trilogy. You know, I was in my mid-20s and I was funny. And so I think there are, at that time, especially too, there were fewer funny women who were also considered super attractive for comedy. Mm. And when you go back in time, it's like, you know, it's been historically very difficult for women to move up in the comedy scene. And some of my idols, like Joan Rivers, I mean, people just really didn't like her. She was really misunderstood just because she spoke her mind and she was loud and she was a woman and she said what she wanted to say. You know, Amy Schumer isn't known for her looks, but she also is someone else who broke the mold for women. And I I, I just idolize her. You know, I think that these women who really pounded the pavement mm. made waves for people like all the modern women trying to come through and and become comedy legends and comedy icons and and tell their story and tell their truth. And I actually I filmed a web series many years ago called The Real Witches of West Hollywood, which was obviously like a spoof of a reality TV show. It was very stupid, very fun. 
And I had this older actress in, her name is Bunny Gibson, and she was in the original American Bandstand. She has a heart of gold. She's like a sweet angel. She's like a grandma to me. And at our premiere, she brought me a book from Phyllis Diller that was signed by Phyllis. And if you don't know who Phyllis Diller is, she was one of the OG female comic stand-ups. And Bunny was just like, I feel like Phyllis would want you to have this because you have the energy of Phyllis. And I just started sobbing. And I thought that was so sweet. I don't know how I got here. Um, But I did. (laughs) So I did pivot from just you know, trying to pursue a career in acting to stand up. And once I started stand up, I realized it was really a natural fit for my personality. I've always kind of been more of a lone wolf than subscribing Mm -hmm. to any sort of mob mentality. And I don't mean that in any sort of negative way. You know, I just don't think I love being attached to a group. I kind of like to just pop. Yeah, I just like to pop in and out, do my thing. I'm like, okay, I'll dip into this community and then I'll go home. I'll dip into that community. I have lots of different friend circles. I don't, yeah, I don't like to necessarily subscribe to anything specifically and so for stand-up it was just you come in you do your thing you leave Mm -hmm. you come when you want you leave when you want you know and and you're able to write your own material you have an illusion of control at least because there (laughs) is no sort of control in Hollywood but but in Hollywood you know you could wait you could just I could just rot waiting for the phone to ring you know Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to just wait for the phone to ring I wanted to write my own words, say my own words, that there's an illusion of some sort of safety when it comes to being able to perform whenever you want that makes you think that, you know, you have control over your art. Yeah, well, I, I think you do. I mean, and now that you're pursuing this path, I assume that it would now be a diss if someone said that you were more pretty than funny. That's probably not what you'd want that to know. Or, so or I don't know. funny that you said that because <laughs> just the other day after a show, one of my girlfriends came up to me and she's like, you're so beautiful. I was like, but am I funny? <laughs> I just, I don't care about being pretty. I just want to be funny. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That is, that is exactly how I feel. But you know, and now I'm here in Edinburgh Edinburgh doing my debut solo show my hour and mm. i'm doing it every day it is exhausting it is definitely eye op- opening experience i'm learning a lot and i'm having an absolute blast i'm That's i'm awesome. so grateful to be here yeah well i'm glad that my fellow brits are treating you well are, have you found a difference um in how american crowds are versus ones in the uk have you noticed anything particular i'll say this I think LA crowds are a little woke Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, in Los Angeles, everyone in LA is trying to get discovered. No one's laughing because they're just too busy thinking that someone in the audience is an agent. I'm like, no one's trying to discover you. You're in the audience. Calm down. Um, Just enjoy a comedy show. You know, no, I, I'm, I'm mostly joking, but it is very tight in LA, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's a Hollywood audience and everyone's super jaded. And I do think that it is difficult to touch on any hot topics in L.A. without mm-hmm. offending someone. Mm-hmm. I do feel very similarly about New York, but it's not as bad. Interesting. And especially because it's not super entertainment driven. You know, New mm-hmm. York, you'll find your bankers and your marketing experts and your health provider. It's just a different type of environment and so people do really and and also people are coming from all over the world to be entertained so 
there art really does go to thrive there a little more than LA. And so I find that it's a different kind of crowd that comes to watch stand up in New York. But since I've been doing shows in London at top secret, um, at angel comedy, but top secret is an incredible club. Since I've been doing shows there, I've realized that they like dark jokes. <laughs> they like dark humor. They like edgy yeah. comedy. And I like telling those types of jokes. We whether noticed. people Yeah. And whether people consider that shocking <laughs> or not, you know, that's really none of my business. I think it's fun. You know, people like Anthony Jeselnik, Anthony is so dark. And that's his whole thing. And people love him and admire him for it. And it's his whole style. Mm. But if people aren't used to you saying those types of jokes and you're not already famous for them, you could get really frowned upon. Yeah. And so I love being in London and Scotland uh, and Edinburgh where I feel like people are just open to whatever comes out of your mouth. That's good. Do you think that, I mean, I think comedy is so important right now. Um, I think it always has been, but I think more than ever. I think as so many Western countries, whether you're talking certainly the USA, but the UK, all across the board, you you use the term woke, right? But things are moving in this more censorious, less humorous direction, right? Like it's, you're not supposed to have a sense of humor. You're not supposed to be able to make fun of things, let alone laugh at yourself or laugh at anything else. And it's weird because it's kind of come full circle. I mean, you brought up, Los Angeles and New York City, traditionally, these are two of the most liberal cities in the world and certainly mm -hmm. in the United States. But this weird thing has happened over the past few decades where a lot of those people have become the ones who want to censor everything. And it's really strange. There's been this sort of switch and shift that's occurring and is happening. And a lot of people have noticed it. And it's like, what exactly is going on here? The same thing is happening in London to some degree. But I think comedy is so important and it's so important for comedians to stand up to that because I think entertainers in general, but I think comedians and I think a lot of rappers as well, I think that's those are like the bastions of freedom of speech. And when I say freedom of speech, I don't just mean from like a legal perspective, but from a cultural perspective. And I think it's so important with all the chaos going on in the world, all the madness, all the negativity, it's so important for people to just be able to laugh at things. And so that's one reason why I love comedy and I like comedians because it's just like, just, just, just go for it, right? Say, say the stuff that other people might be thinking, but won't say stuff is going to upset people, offend people, trigger people. Like we're all offended by different things, but if you have a sense of humor, you can laugh at anything, even something that's close to your heart. Yeah. And not only do I agree with a lot of the points that you just made, if not all of them, I can't even think of one I could disagree with. <laughs> I have found that here's what I started doing. At the top of my hour, I make a comment on the fact that if you are a sensitive person, the show is not for you. <laughs> trigger warning. Yeah, it's a trigger because because then I prepare people for their expectations. Mm. So then I've already warned you, this is your time to leave if you are a very sensitive person. Yeah. If you're someone who enjoys any type of comedy and doesn't get easily offended, you know, this is, I, I have a joke in there. It's pretty stupid that um, I reference what happened with Will Smith at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, you know, comedians in telling jokes in 2022 is like Joe Biden riding a bicycle. 
<laughs> it's dangerous, but we're willing to risk our lives for it. You know, and I, I think that's, I, th I mean that, you know, mm. I'm, look what happened with Dave Chappelle. Someone stormed the stage with a gun. Yep. How did that even, I, I, I just, it blows my mind. Um, mm -hmm. Hopefully not and literally. You, just and, the, and, and, and sorry to jump in. Do you, do you know one of the things that's even, I don't know which one is worse, the fact that that happened or the fact that there were people who thought that was okay because he'd been offensive to such and such people. Like when people are willing to condone and excuse violence or, you know, kicking people off platforms or throwing people in prison or whatever because of a joke. Uh, I mean, there was just this, I don't know if you saw in the UK. Um, did you see that guy got arrested? for Which one? posting a meme last week. What? There was a guy, there was a guy in the UK who got arrested by the police for posting a meme and the police officer literally said that his meme um caused anxiety to some people. <sighs> arrested, handcuffed, taken for posting a meme that caused anxiety. What was the meme? I have to know. The meme was um you know the new uh you know the new pride flag like the really ugly one with like not not just the normal rainbow but the one with like the the black and the brown and the yes. like trans colors and all of that he it was that but like if because if you arrange four of them diagonally it makes a swastika and he posted that image right huh. um and then of and then of course to prove him wrong you come into his house and arrest him for posting the meme uh so it's kind of it's kind of ironic but it's the weirdest videos. You can you can see the video online. This is just like two, I want to say a week and a half, two weeks ago. Uh, but this is a guy literally getting arrested for posting a meme on Twitter. And that's where things are going. And he, he's not the first. Social I mean, you, you yeah. probably know, um, this is a few years ago. You probably know, hey, hey, you're in his country. You probably know Count Dankula. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> oh, you don't? Oh, okay. Count Dankula. But that's Count already hilarious. Count Dankula is a... Scottish comedian and YouTuber who got arrested in, I want to say about 20, 2016 or 2017, he got arrested for um, a joke he posted on, on YouTube. He taught his girl, he taught his girlfriend's pug how to do, um, how to raise its paw in like a Nazi salute. And he posted a video on his YouTube to annoy his girlfriend showing that he'd turned her little pug into into a nazi and the police came to his house he got arrested he was put on trial and um he was he was prosecuted for this joke um now yeah some people might be like hey i don't like that joke i don't think it's funny but he was potentially facing jail time for it i think in the end he was fined 800 pounds but i think he was the first person in modern british history to be prosecuted for a joke um so yeah, we're living in weird times. It's interesting because as a Jew, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't find that <laughs> funny at all. It's interesting because even as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, what's the line? Like what's the line between what's legal, what's not legal, what's funny, what's not funny? Like a bad joke is just that, a bad joke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's funny about this one is the joke was just for his girlfriend. It wasn't supposed, he put it on a YouTube channel that had I think 12 subscribers. Like he's mm -hmm. a big YouTuber now. He's got a big channel now, 
But at the time, it, the video was, I think he posted it public. I think it was supposed to be private, but he posted it publicly. And he was out of the country. And somehow this video got discovered by people and yeah. amplified and amplified and amplified Ooh. to the point where when he came back to the country, the police were like waiting for him, basically. At his <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the video, he, like, he thought, okay, my girlfriend's away from the weekend. She's just got this cute little pug. I'm going to like teach it to do like this, this gross thing to annoy her. And then it just, it just snowballed. It just became this giant thing. And then, you know, he was all over the papers and people were, you know, he, he's needless to say, he's, he's, he's not a Nazi or anything like it, but um, he was amplified every, like it just, it just, it just snowballed into this, into the craziest thing. Um, yeah, but yeah, that was just like wild. a big example of something that happened a few years ago where it was like, well, I think it's happened in Canada as well. There have been some comedians, some comedians <laughs> fine for, yeah, comedians fine for jokes that they told on stage or that they told online. Man, uh, I, oh, I mean, here's here's the other thing that is happening. It's a trend that I'm noticing in comedy, which is that people are telling me, look, for years people tell have been telling me how to do my comedy. Don't talk about sex. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. Okay. So you want to censor my comedy. You want to tell me how to do my comedy. That's fine. Why don't you do your comedy the way you want to do your comedy? Mm -hmm. But that's not even the bothersome part. The bothersome part, you know, because at this point I'm just so over all of the Hollywood shenanigans that you have to jump through as a female. Uh, well, anyone, but it happens a lot for women. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I'm noticing is that people are telling you, don't just do an hour of jokes. It has to be a story. Oh, you know, yeah. we, we want, we want a storytelling and I'm just thinking, why, why does everything have to have a deep message? Mm -hmm. Why can't comedy just be because you want to laugh for an hour? Yep. Isn't that the point of comedy? Why does everything need to have a powerful message behind it? You know, mm -hmm. that's, what dramas are for that's what and and you can do both but for it to become a movement where people are like that doesn't work anymore you can't yeah. do that you know that's not what people want to see it's 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 a struggle to me i mm -hmm. think that people are being pushed into a narrative do you know what it is when you become on every word <laughs> when as you as your profile rises and you become more and more of a public figure or influential person, what happens is people want you to be their mouthpiece. They want you to say this happens in every arena, not just comedy. It can happen if you're a social political commentator, a YouTuber, a gamer, a musician, whatever it is, people want you to be their mouthpiece. And whether or not they know it, they start saying, oh, you know, you should do this and you should do it because they think if they were in that position, that's the message that they would want to, that's the message they would want to get out. And so knowingly or unknowingly, that pressure starts to come. I, I get the same thing all the time. I'm not a comedian by, oh, Zuby, you should talk about this, or you should do this, or you should, you should tweet about this, or you should talk. It's like, dude, like, that's what you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about what I want to talk about. And sometimes that'll align with the things that you're thinking or the things you want to say, but not always, but, um, you know, if you've got hundreds of thousands of people following you, which, which we both do, then there's always that risk of audience capture where someone just completely starts playing to their crowd or s taking certain talking points and just repeating them. So I think that's, I think that's what's happening. I think that again, in this weird time we live in, so many people are looking at musicians and comedians and actors and 
athletes and whatever, even if they just don't say anything, sometimes they get criticized. It's like, oh, why didn't this person say anything about X? It's like, well, why should they? He's an author. He's a rapper. Like, why, why, should, why should they have to speak out on every single Yeah, why do they have to thing? make a message about global warming, something they have no idea about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like what? It, it makes no sense, but that's... Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think why does this person have to talk about being a vegan when they're not? It's just, yeah, I think it's interesting because the message that I'm starting to realize that I have behind my comedy, and and the message that happens in my show here at Edinburgh, is uh, <laughs> I'm really trying, is something that I don't think the powers that be would actually love particularly, mm-hmm. which is that social media is ruining a lot of us. Mm. And social media is a highlight reel and you're not showing people the real you. And all of this is really uh, an illusion. It's all fake. And so in my show, I just try to show people the very real me, what's mm-hmm. really real underneath it. You know, I take them on a full journey of, I even reference a photo on my Instagram where it's like, I look like this amazing girl who has a perfect life. I'm in a five-star hotel in Paris. And then I take them behind what's actually happening in the photo. And (laughs) you know what I mean? And I'm like, you don't see, this is the thing. And and people are looking up to what I think are really false idols. Mm. And they're looking up to people who've been surgically enhanced or changed or have so much more money than them that, you know, it makes their lifestyle different or whatever it is. And I I think that these sorts of issues and and, and like really separate, that's, this is what's separating people. And this is what's really damaging children. Mm -hmm. What what are your thoughts on that? I want you to expand on that a little bit more because it's interesting because with, with what we both do, social media and the internet in general is largely what's enabled it, right? Like the technology has been so powerful in order to reach audiences all across the world and so on. But then there's also this, we both also recognize the problems with this technology and how it can affect people, adults, but also children. I think it affects men and women, boys and girls in some uniquely different ways. And then in some ways where it's the same. So if you you, you brought up, for example, um, appearance, right? Girls and women are going to be much more sensitive to certain things that they see online in terms of imagery if they're on instagram or they're on tiktok or that but boys and men were were less were less uh i don't know influenced by it or feel less pressured by it if you're swiping through instagram and you know you're seeing super jack dudes with you know glistening six packs and they're on all types of drugs or whatever it no, it doesn't matter. No one, no one compares that. No one's ever complained that GI Joe or He Man or Batman or Superman are, are too jacked, and that they're creating a uh, false standard of physique for boys and men. Like no one, that's it's not a thing. It's not a concern. But with women, um, it is. So I don't know. Can you just go a little bit, a little bit deeper on that sort of conflict with social media? Yeah, I think that it's a necessary evil. Mm. What I mean by that is the internet is how I became successful. Yes. So for me, it's a double-edged sword because not only do I, I don't know if a lot of people here know me, but I was a clubhouse icon. If you don't know what clubhouse was, it's an app that really thrived during the pandemic. It was all all social audio. Mm -hmm. And so I was running standup shows on there day in and day out. I was just going, it was, it felt like a reality show without the video. 
where I was just telling people about my life. And I'm, I'm really an open book type of person. You know, I don't have secrets, I don't think, um, <laughs> that I haven't shared with literally anyone who would listen to them. And I got a really large following because of that. I think people mm-hmm. really just like to hear the truth. They're like, oh, wow, this person is really real. You know, and then when that app kind of took a nosedive because everyone was emerging from the pandemic and we were going back to live shows, you know, you're playing to much smaller audiences unless you're playing in front of a theater. And I had some big comics take me on the road. Dane Cook took me out and, you know, we'd be playing to 3,500 seat theaters, which is really good reach, you know, but it's still not the same thing as being directly on your phone. It doesn't translate immediately to followers when you're performing live, but when you're already on your phone, it translates almost directly to followers. Mm -hmm. And that's the way people consume content now. And so we become addicted to filming clips, putting up clips, stand-up clips, um, any sort of content of us doing something, something funny, something, you know, oh, a sketch, a character, a man on the street video, and then getting addicted to watching the likes and the how many times was it played and how many comments did I get and did people like it and did they save it and did they share it and how many people reposted on their store? I mean, it's endless. Mm -hmm. And so it's great because what it does is it lowers the barrier to entry which is what happened during the pandemic, I was no longer being held back by gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. And in Hollywood, that's casting directors, that's bookers for comedy clubs. It's anyone who has the power to say yes or no to you. But when you're on the internet, no one has the power to say yes or no. If your video is public, anyone can see it. And if people like it, they'll share it. Yeah. And unless you know, you're know shadow banned or your views are getting suppressed for some reason... You know, you can get a very large following. And now we just see this as the model. So many people are getting famous from the Internet or getting seen. And a lot of those people are really talented. Yeah. Yeah. That's how Justin Bieber was found. Yeah. It's a great thing. I mean, I I think people often forget just how new the technology is. That's what I notice. I think that, I mean, the combination of smartphones and social media is only 15 years old. So as far as humanity goes... It's, it's like a split second. So I think that there are many, many challenges that we're now going through and we're running this huge grand human experiment, which we've never had before. I mean, the notion that we can be the, just the fact that we can reach hundreds of thousands or, or millions of people by tapping some buttons on a phone, the, what we're doing right now. And the fact mm-hmm. that people can then go and, and listen to this, no matter where they are in the world, it's it's like witchcraft, really. I mean, any of our ancestors would would see any element of this and just be like, "What on earth is going on?" Like, wait, you're yeah. You're, I was you're I was insane. promised a hoverboard in the future. What sort <laughs> of, you know, what is this? This this version of the future sucks. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I but I agree in a lot of ways, and I also think it's like I said a necessary evil. It mm. makes me ill to be on Instagram. I could go really? into a spiral comparing and despairing, which oh. compare and despair is what I think happens to a lot of people where they say, okay, I posted this video and it only got, you know, 20,000 views and 30 comments. And then I saw mm. another friend who posted a video and he got 50,000 views and 150 comments. What is he doing that I'm not doing? Why is mm. he getting this? And why am I not getting this? You know? And mm. A lot of that is jealousy, It's uh, which is a, an ugly emotion 
a lot of it is not believing in yourself enough or, you know, there are, there are a million reasons that you feel jealousy or you feel like it's a, you start comparing yourself to people. And, and that used to be something that plagued me. I don't feel that way anymore because I spent a lot of time working on myself and also because, you know, things turned around for me. (laughs) No, but you know, I, I did, I had to take a step back from social media for a while because I felt broken. I felt I was constantly in, I was just a cog in the machine. If I don't Mm -hmm. post, will people forget about me? If I do post, will they like it? Yes. If I do post and it doesn't do well, do I need, is it because I'm posting at the wrong time or the wrong day or the, it's, I mean, it's, it's totally bizarre. And I think it really gets people into their heads about who they are, not Mm -hmm. only as people, but as artists. And I don't think that's what it's meant for. Yeah. I think, it's great for spreading of information, whether it's misinformation or information. <laughs> I think it's great for advertising, right? So a, a necessary evil would be me having to promote my shows. You you yeah. know, it's like I have to get the word out, you know, and have people share why, it. Why and do you why do you use the term evil? Because I like I said, it makes I I think that the less time I spend on social media, the better I feel. Gotcha. The more time I'm in real life engaging with real people places and things the better i feel i've never felt better laying in my bed scrolling through instagram versus being on top of a mountain true that you know it's like when i think about (laughs) this is how i got addicted to escape rooms (laughs) 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 i'm so embarrassed to tell anyone this i love escape rooms i'm gonna make a blog i'm like i am absolutely obsessed with escape rooms I love solving the puzzles. I like the themes. I think it's fun to literally not be on your phone for an hour, just Mm -hmm. using your brain and being inside of a room that was created for you in, it it feels there's an element of magic and just good old fashioned fun. It's like when you used to play board games as a kid with your family and everyone was just communicating and hanging out with each other and having in-person connection. I think Mm. A lot of times I feel really out of touch when I'm on Instagram. It's a I falsification am. of connection, I think. It it connects people and disconnects them at the same time. It, it does. Well, you know, at the end of the day, we are all human. No, and not all with, of us. <laughs> well, most of us. Everyone I talk, everybody I know, everyone I hang out I'm with. I'm not convinced human. I'm from this planet, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's something that often gets gets lost in the mix is humanity. And I think that when technology helps you move closer to humanity and truly connect and it enhances all of that, then it's good. But there's a very fine line between that and it taking away from humanity and whatever platform people are on, right? This is why people fight on Twitter all the time because they forget that you're interacting with other human beings. You're just seeing these little avatars and words and you're not thinking, okay, there's a real human being with feelings and a family and a life and problems who's on the opposite end of this thing it's this is just part like, of the evil by the way the this is def- this is definitely part of the evil and it's an ongoing challenge because it's so it's so weird like again none of our our parents didn't have this our grandparents all our ancestors didn't didn't have this they just existed in the present in the real world we've been giving the given these new magic tools and it's like okay what are you going to do with it right? Are you going to use this 
for good? Or are you going to use it for bad? Are you going to let it consume you and destroy you? Or are you going to control this? Right. And it's uh it's a tricky one. But I think one thing I definitely do is I'm I'm very certain. I mean, it's how it's how we met each other, right? I mean, people I, I meet people in the real world that I know through social media. So I don't just keep it online and in this fake virtual world. I use this. Okay, cool. I'm gonna go out to the USA. Cool. I follow all these people on Twitter and Instagram. Let me let me connect with this person. Let's connect with that person. You actually come together in the real world. And when it's like that, I think, okay, cool. That's an enhancement. But I think when people just get stuck in this thing of, oh, okay, you know, I've got a best friend. I've never actually met my best friend. My best friend is just online or we just play video games. I'm like, you guys, why don't you meet each other in real life? This is just weird. Or people do this even with romantic relationships and people are having romantic relationships with people they've never met in the real world and don't plan to. And I'm just like, okay, that is, that is strange. And I don't think that, uh, I don't think that's a human evolution right there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a big step honest, backwards. That sounded really judgmental to me. Um, no, I, I, oh God. I don't I mind being all... judgmental, by the way. No. <laughs> I'm totally, totally happy with that. I uh, know. I, I just find a lot of it odd. I yeah. do. I, I've met a lot of my best friends from the internet. Mm-hmm. And that's true. I've also met a lot of my best friends from in real life. Yeah. I, you know, and I know that there are the older generations think we're weak because they don't understand, you know, we have different hardships. They'd be like, your great grandfather walked six miles just to go to elementary school and then had to work at the button factory and was a chimney sweep and a newsboy. And, and you're complaining because one person on the internet named random goat four two zero said that you weren't funny in this one clip and i'm like yeah but random go four two zero you know it's a like it's a different form of hardship you just don't understand really Uh made me spiral out you know and i think i think we're just living in a different time where because we're all so attached to our phones i don't know i don't have a calendar i use my phone you know i don't have a physical paper calendar yeah i don't you know, I have all my credit cards are in my phone. Um, if if I need anything, you know, I have a, everything is in my phone. Everything's in my laptop. If I didn't have them, it would be a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I I would panic. I'd be like, okay, well, how do I order an Uber? But how do I get to the airport? You know, I'd like suddenly panic because mm-hmm. we have mainstreamed the use of our technology in our phones to just be part of our everyday lives in every sense of it yeah it's it's weird it's an interesting shift but with that said i know you uh you were talking earlier in the intro about web3 so Mm -hmm. first of all for all those listeners out there can you explain what web3 is yeah so web one is technically your dial-up aol the really early days of the internet, just the beginning. It's just one or two search engines. People really, a lot of FUD, fear, uncertainty, doubt about what the internet was. Web 2 is what you're really experiencing now, is a one-way relationship between brand and consumer. And Web 3 is consumers taking the power back and making a copacetic relationship with a brand. So Web3 is really about community-based integration. It's about bringing together 
big business and the purchaser. So for example, if I'm Nike and I come in and I have an NFT drop, non-fungible token, lives on the blockchain, if you purchase it, I want to know what I'm getting out of it besides a JPEG. Mm-hmm. What is the utility behind this? What am I getting out of it? What, what do I get out of being a fan of yours? What do I get out of being a collector of yours? And so the models are changing. It used to just be buy this PFP. You know, a lot of people, that's how people feel about board apes. But then they had to evolve into what's the utility behind them. Okay, it's mm-hmm. a social club. Okay, you get first drops from Snoop Dogg and Eminem. You get new merch drops. You know, so again, let's go back to the Nike model. Nike might say the first 1,000 people to purchase get um, Nike shipped to their house that are limited edition. Mm -hmm. They may get, for like Dolce & Gabbana, um, a friend of mine purchased one of their most expensive NFTs and he just did a photo shoot with them. Okay. And that will be in some of their stores. You know, so there's you're getting a reward for being a fan, for being a consumer. You're working together with the brand. Mm-hmm. You're not just, oh, I'm waiting around the the corner, like in a huge line to purchase these new Nikes. And now I just get shoes and Nike doesn't care about me. Yeah. What got you so now interested in this area? If we're honest, mm-hmm. I think I just got taken in with the current it really started on clubhouse and I didn't quite understand what was going on, but I was there for Steve Iogi's first drop. I was there for Paris Hilton's first drop on stage with them. And people were just making millions of dollars off these drops. And I still didn't quite understand the technology behind it. And what it really is, is you're tying a contract that lives on the blockchain. You could check your ether scan at any time to see who owned it before you, how much they bought it for, and how much you bought it for, when you bought it, um, and who you sell it to, all of this sort of stuff, right? It's a contract and they're attaching it to art. So of course now they're moving it into MP3s and at some point in the future it will be film and TV, but people haven't historically consumed media on the blockchain like that yet. Doesn't mean they won't. But what got me excited about it was when I started to realize that artists we were the priority. Mm -hmm. So let's take away big brands for a second. There are people who are incredible artists that no one ever knew about, but because their art was attached to the blockchain, not only did they cut out a middleman, taking out a huge fee from their art, and they go direct to consumer, they were able to build a completely new fan base purchasing with cryptocurrency And so some of these people just became millionaires. You know, some of my, like, thank you, X, Ryan. He's an incredible artist. And now I would say he's probably one of the most famous people, one of the most famous artists in the space. I didn't know him before. Yeah. And it's a new generation of artists. It's a new type of art. You know, it's just like the digital world is taking over. You were just saying the internet is so new. This is all, you know, 15 years, basically. And now digital art is a new version of art. You know, just how... Like when the MoMA opened, the Museum of Modern Art, people were like, mm-hmm. what is this? So, so people didn't understand it. And, yeah. and then it became part of art. And now digital art is the next phase. And 
I think living in the metaverse and having metaverse land and metaverse art, it's just a different type of art collection. Yeah. And so it's this, it's a new world that's opening up. And I, I think it's really cool to be early to something and see what it's like to be not trapped in a corporate triangle. So what I mean by that is I will be doing my own drop soon. And as an artist, and and listen, agents and managers, network studios, those they're all important. They're all necessary. However, in Web3, you know, I could drop my NFT and I get 100%. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not giving 15% to my manager, 10% to my agent, 20% to the studio. Like, it's it's a lot of money that goes into the pockets of other people who sometimes don't even really do that much for you. Sure. They're just writing your coattails. Of course, that's not all man- managers and agents, but that is a pretty standard Web2 model in the entertainment industry. And I know you're a musician. Musicians historically make nothing. You know, they the amount of money that they make from their art proportional mm-hmm. to how much they should be making is disturbing. Yeah, that's why, uh, that's why I've been independent from day one. And yeah. a lot of people didn't understand that. It's It's interesting because... When I started doing music, um, being independent was not was not cool, right? That was just oh, unsigned. It was like you know you you want to be signed, but you can't be or whatever. And I was like, no, I'm very very happily independent. And it's funny how now, I mean, now there are artists who are signed who pretend to be independent because you right. get more clout for being <laughs> for being independent. So again, that's another thing. It's it's funny to see how it's changing. But I think that um, this technology is actually kind of a return to an even more traditional model. Cause if you go back with art, I mean, people used to have like patrons and it used to be, you know, before all these middlemen came into the picture, you know, com- companies and managers and agents and all this and that actually it was more, it was more direct to fans. So I think funnily enough, we're going through again, another one of these loops where you're it's new technology, but it's enabling that really old school direct to fan model again just on a whole different scale because now you're not limited to the locality not just the town or the city or the village that you live in you've now got the internet so if you are a singer a rapper a comedian um, a painter whatever it is you've just now got this global audience and i think that's such a beautiful thing i mean i think with with any technology comes comes challenges and comes opportunities and i think that as long as you are able to maintain your sanity and not get addicted in the wrong way to the wrong things, then there's so much opportunity, so much money to be made. There are so many wonderful people to reach and to connect with and to collaborate with and to send, to sell things to. You just have to use it in a way that most people, most people won't. I mean, I think that social media is a phenomenal tool. It's so incredibly powerful. There's so much that can be done with it. But the vast majority of people are just completely in consumer mode and they're not using it consciously. And and ev- everyone can fall into that sometimes, right? We all have times where, you know, you just, you go on there to do something productive and then you you find yourself 20 minutes later, just scrolling 20 through. 20 minutes, right? Three hours. <laughs> how are you gonna, How are you just going into a 20 minute spiral? Can I, pl- oh my gosh. I'm a I disciplined man, Leah. I'm a disciplined yeah. man. <laughs> no, but you know, the other thing too is that I think our experiences are being curated for us. Mm-hmm. And it frustrates me that I can't just go on and I'm looking at my timeline and it's not 
the people from my timeline. I'm getting, you know, not only am I getting sponsored ads, but I'm also yeah. getting videos and photos from people I don't even know in my timeline. And it's like, well, what if I just wanted to actually see the posts from the people I know? Mm-hmm. That's kind of you new, know, isn't it? Especially on Instagram. Yeah. But, you know, I will say this. It is helpful in some ways because I know that they're listening to us through our phones. So at this point, I just talked to I'm like, well, if they're going to do it anyway, I'll be like mirror with gold frame around it. And then like <laughs> two minutes later, I'll have like eight ads and I'll be like, perfect. You know, it did its research for me. So thank you so much. You know, I needed to buy it anyway. <laughs> yeah. So Leo, with, uh, with everything you do, what's your, what really drives you? What's your, what's your main driver? Probably just to survive the apocalypse. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> just to make enough money to not get my, my main driver, honestly, and this is going to sound really wild. Um, my main driver is to be joyful and spread joy. Mm-hmm. And I think that as a child, I did not have a lot of joy and I did not experience a lot of joy. And I felt really tightly wound up. I don't think anyone would recognize me from when I was 18 and younger, mm-hmm. just a completely different person. And I'm so glad I am. I, um, there was a, a severe lack of joy and now as an adult, I'm starting to realize you really regret the things that you don't do with your life mm-hmm. instead of just believing that you have to work this nine to five, have this type of car, have this type of house, have this type of relationship, communicate with people this way, be a completely polite lady and never say anything out of line. You know, I think a picture was painted for me early on that I stuck to and I felt I was a really serious person. I was a really, and I it wasn't, it, I know, I know, I know. And, and I, I thought that I had to be a doctor because it was the highest form of intelligence and anything else would make me seem weak or not smart. Mm. I thought that, you know, I, there were just all these preconceived notions that I had, what it was to be um, perceived by others as put together, smart, wealthy, talented, interesting, well-behaved and I wanted to follow that suit and the thing is that it was never really what I wanted it was just it was projected onto me yes. because I was always an artist and I was always pushed away from it always mm-hmm. always always which I think historically if you note when people are pushed in a different direction it's usually because someone else is trying to hide the truth about something mm-hmm. and or or there's an element of jealousy and I think that I was always an artist. I was pushed away from it. No one wanted me to do it, even though it's all I was ever really good at. And mm-hmm. it's all I ever really enjoyed doing. And finally, you know, it's like you can't keep someone down long enough if they don't want to be held down. Absolutely. No, you know, I, there, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, there, there's there's so much there. I mean, the thing is, if you do anything creative and or entrepreneurial, you're always going to be in the minority. You're always going to be in a small minority because that's just not how, number one, it's just not how most people are wired personality wise. It's a, it's a unique personality type that wants to do that. Um, and then also, as you've alluded to, there are so many elements in society, whether that's within families or communities or schools or the whole education system that is 
you know, it, it's wired to push people into more traditional career paths, right? Things that are considered safe, low risk, secure, things that people just know. I mean, if you even describe what you do for a living, I'm sure a lot of people are like, huh? Like, how does that work? How do you, how do you make money? Like they, they don't understand. If I explain to people what I do, they, they get each one, they get most of them individually. But if I combine all the different things I do and I tell someone, they're like, wait, how can you, you know, you're a rapper. Why are you speaking at, um, you know, last week I spoke at the national conservative student conference in Washington, DC with like mm -hmm. Mike Pence and people are like, wait, I thought you were a rapper. Like why you didn't and wait well, then you, then you're doing a podcast and wait, you you wrote a children's book and you have like fit, you do fitness stuff. Like you're not allowed to do all that. And it I'm freaks like, people out when you're it, more than one thing. It freaks people out because it's new as well. In the past, people weren't really like that. It was just like, you're a blacksmith, you're a baker, you're a butcher, you're an electrician, right? You do this, you do that. It wasn't like, oh, okay, you can combine all these things together. And again, we're living in this new and exciting age where you can be all of these things. You can do what you do on social media. You can be a stand-up comedian. You can write a book. You can run a podcast. You can be in Web3 and crypto. You can do all of these things and you can be interested and capable in all of them. Um, and that's awesome, but a lot of people are not going to get it and perhaps never will. There's infinite possibility. And I think that people that have always been told that they have to do one thing, as I was, mm -hmm. as other people were, and they were made to feel that way, feel that they need to continue marching to that drum. Yes. And that life is unfair and that they were dealt a bad hand or that what we're doing is ridiculous or there's just so many ways to put people down or make themselves feel better for not ever trying because it's scary because if you try, you could fail. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I'm just, I'm at this weird place in my life where I feel like everyone I know is an entrepreneur. I don't have many people in my life who are living in the, the stereotypical nine to five. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I don't want to have friends like that. I just think that we don't have as much to connect on. Yes. We don't have the same sort of free time. We don't have the same sort of interests. Mm -hmm. My interests are on a growth mindset, on an abundance mindset, on travel, on, um, you know, creating wealth, generational wealth, creating joy for people, helping people work through whatever trauma or whatever it is through comedy. Um, also helping people just laugh because I think that, like I said, laughter is in my opinion look they say laughter is the best medicine and it's not medicine is the best medicine but <laughs> it is a close second uh, it depends it on it depends on the medicine let's be clear on the joke <laughs> and the joke as well yeah no i uh well yeah also definitely depends on the medicine <laughs> um I, I i i do really i do truly believe that if you believe in yourself anything is possible if you've watched the Kanye documentary, I know he's a controversial figure and I know a lot of people don't like him and that's fine, but no one was willing to see Kanye as a rapper. Mm -hmm. They were like, no, you're just a producer. You're a producer. He'd be just spitting just gems in front of them and they'd be trying to take calls and kicking him out of the office. No <laughs> one wanted to see him as a rapper. And because he believed in himself, it's the only reason he became so successful. Yeah. 
you have to believe more than anyone else. It doesn't matter if one other person believes in you, because if you don't believe in you, you're not going to do anything with it. Yeah. I think the average person needs to think that you're delusional. And I am delusional and that's okay. <laughs> There's a no, little no, bit I, of Honestly, I mean, I think that if, if I explain what I want to achieve in the world to, I don't know, a random person who doesn't really know me and what I'm all about, if they don't think I'm delusional, I'm like, hmm, okay, I need to aim, I need to aim higher. I need to make my goal even bigger. I want them to be like, yo, okay, like this guy's, this guy. Yeah, like, you know, I, yeah. What my goals are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. Well, but then you also want to surround yourself with people who are like, awesome, you can do that. Like, you're going to do that. How can I help you? We're, we're going to achieve this. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about art, though, for me, is that it becomes part of an international lexicon. You know, people have inside jokes from movies that they've seen where mm. you could be anywhere in the world. And it's like, oh, I saw, you know, Step Brothers. You saw Step Brothers and we both died of laughter seeing it. Or, you know, it's an instant connection and it's an instant way of changing your day or changing your perspective. And in, I know that's like the silliest, you know, or you could bring up Titanic, right? Mm-hmm. That movie is tragic, but it is a legendary film that makes someone like Leonardo DiCaprio a, an icon forever. Mm-hmm. And anytime you see him, like, that's what I think of. I'm immediately thinking about <laughs> him on a piece of wood, you know, and her being like, I'll never let go, Jack. I'll never let go. And then she lets go. And everyone has these memories and everyone has the moment that they connect to when they first saw it and what it meant to them. And what that, when they hear the song, what it, my heart will go on, what it makes them feel. You immediately have that nostalgia. And so I think, you know, art to me is really a, a one of the most beautiful ways to connect people. Amen. So Leah, where can yeah. people find you online? And uh, do you have anything in particular that you want them to check out? Yeah. So just make sure you comment on all my reels and follow me on Instagram. <laughs> and I, I'm just Give counting every likes. like, every play, every share. <laughs> I, I'll message you back. I don't know. I've got nothing to live for. Um, <laughs> you can find me at Edinburgh this whole month doing my hour. And I'm also just touring around in general. So if you go to leolamar.com, I'll have my show dates there. But my Instagram is really where I have most of my comment. You can also find tickets to my shows there. It's just leolamar, L-E-A-H-L-A-M-A-R-R. My TikTok is leolamar with five R's. Don't ask why. My Twitter is also just leolamar. And that is pretty much where you can find me. Awesome. Leah, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And make sure you give Leah some likes and some plays so that she'll feel better about herself. You're the best. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stuntly and destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.